and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 34, Young Adult from 2011. I'm Mike Nancy. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, he was here a couple episodes ago for Hancock. He's back already, Mr. Dan Cologne. Hello, Dan. Hey, you guys. Thanks for having me back. Sure. Back. Thank you for being here, and thank you for sending out those daily tweets each morning with your uh, cool, cool gifts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for being uh, Cage Club social media supervisor. I really, honestly, don't have uh, enough chances to thank you for that. So, it, Well, it's a dream job. I do it for free. So, you know. <laughs> I'm bowing to you. <laughs> Hands in praise, bowing to you. So here we are today for... Young adult, a Jason Reitman Diablo Cody re team up a Charlize Theron movie, which, gonna throw it out there, already won an Oscar, nominated for another Oscar. I think this is her best role ever. Mm-hmm. So far, I think. It's my number one movie on Letterboxd in terms of rankings. Mm-hmm. I also reshuffled my Charlize Theron rankings on Letterboxd to not have Devil's Advocate first, but right off the bat, laying like chips on the table, cards on the table, everything on the table. Best Charlie Theron movie to date. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's hard to disagree with you, Joey, honestly. Like, I mean, it's probably the best movie I like the most. Like, because I think Monster is also a really great movie. It's just, it's, you know, hard to rewatch. Yes. This is the second time I watched this movie, and I was excited to rewatch it, to revisit this movie and everything. And she crushes it. It's so great to finally just see her in every single shot, basically. <laughs> and she, you know, it's like she is this movie. She embodies this character. I think it's a really good role for her. It was just really nice to get, I feel like this is what we did it for, right? Just to get her at her max, like on full display, just totally killing it. And yet, you only gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Well, I mean, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie or anything. I just think brutal. this time... Well, it's not brutal. I, mean, <laughs> I definitely liked it more the first time. I think knowing what's coming and, I don't know, I just wasn't caught off guard or it wasn't as unexpected the second time around. I still think it's a really good movie, though. It's a great Charlize film. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, don't let the star rating fool you all the time. It's just <laughs> so why do you hate this movie, Mike? Yeah, Mike. Well, Mike, okay, also, so what are stars for if they're not to tell us, you know, Well, that's my that's. That's not what this show is for, is not to debate letterbox ratings and what stars mean and all that kind of thing. But I understand you guys like almost gave this five stars. That's great. And like I'm not going to be complaining about this movie by any means. I think it's absolutely solid. This is a movie that I rank pretty highly in my in my Charlie's ranking. At, not that I am much of an expert. Uh, you guys obviously are the are the experts here. But uh, of the Charlie's films that I've seen, this absolutely ranks uh, really high. It might also be my favorite Charlie's performance. All in all, this movie does everything that I, I I wanted it to do and Charlize is firing in all cylinders and she's playing she's tapping into kind of a little bit of every skill set that she has as an actor you know we're used to seeing her play kind of a kind of a heavy badass character and in, in this movie she kind of taps into that while also doing comedy yeah I think she's this is her best all-around performance in my opinion I think what doing this project has really made me appreciate this movie more. Like, I think the first time I watched it, because we were talking before we started recording, and Dan said he didn't know about this until it went to Netflix, and then he just saw it, he thought it looked fun, and watched it. And I remember the trailers made this look like fun, and sort of like a romp, and then I watched it, and I'm like, oh, this is dark as fuck. I wasn't ready for that. And this time, I remembered it being super depressing. You know, as a movie, I'm not sure how good or bad the movie is. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's necessarily Diablo Cody's best, or I don't know if it's you know, Jason Reitman's best or Charlize's best, but I think in terms of the character itself, herself, Mavis Gary, and yeah. Charlize's performance, 
watching 34 Charlize movies in a row, or 34 things that Charlize has been in, has made me appreciate this performance even more. Mm. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like when we did Keanu Club, you know, obviously Keanu may be best known for The Matrix, but then we got to John Wick and we were like, oh, this is the role that all of his roles <laughs> have been building up to. And I mm-hmm. feel like, in a lot of ways, this is kind of the role that Charlize has been building up to. And mm-hmm. I know that we've still got another 14 or 15 movies after this, and I know that we've got a bunch more good movies, which I'm excited to because we've we've had some real clunkers so far. In terms of, like, the evolution of where she's been and being, like, the hot one and being, like, we talking about, you know, last episode on the road, like, talking about her being the mom and this. Like, it's a subversion of this. It's, like, a commentary on this. It's a criticism of this. Everything that she's done and every character that she's been and the way that Jason Reitman's able to direct her and the way that Diablo Cody's able to write her and the way that she's able to perform the character. It's just like, this is the masterclass of Charlize Theron, I feel like, mm. to this point. No, I totally agree. Like, especially on the point of, like, this character itself. Like, I think maybe that's what it is this time around is I knew that first go around. Like, maybe I just wanted this character in a different situation. Like, maybe she deserves her own series of movies, quite like the books that she ghostwrites in the actual movie itself. Like, I love what Mavis does and is doing. I just think this time around I was maybe noticing, like, oh, I'm not sure I understand her delusion or obsession clear enough this time I don't know it just wasn't sort of the tone it wasn't just clicking with me perfectly like it was when I first watched it but like uh, I would have loved I would love to see her character in other situations and the thing that crossed my mind too like especially speaking of like where she's come and what she's done and and, and where she is now she's played sort of that manic pixie dream girl a few times and this is yep. like the manic pixie nightmare girl you know version of that almost and the, so there's like another subversion there from what you're expecting from her yeah it's just great it's funny how this character is sort of in this state of arrested development and she was in an episode of arrested development like things are just sort of coming around like full circle to a degree with this with this project and even more so just like a last sort of note in how it might connect to like some of the other shows we do um i almost got like a soderbergh vibe from this movie every once in a while particularly in the way reitman covers a lot of stuff his coverage like he does a really good job of developing a character or a place just without any dialogue you know just when you see her watching the kardashians and drinking vodka until she falls asleep and you know there's like lots of good uh, establishment of that kind of thing when you know everything does come to a head these are just like little plants along the way you know she's not necessarily like when she explodes you could see the breadcrumbs uh that were sort of scattered throughout the movie along the way like that so it, it's pretty technically interesting too there's just so many little character moments that are just peppered throughout like I wrote down I made note of like all of the different things that she does like her morning routine and they're all like so weirdly specific and I can't remember like any other character that like I've seen you know like painfully rip off her I don't even know how to describe it because I've never worn one like sort of like a plastic bra like a strapless but it's not even like a full like bra it's just like a help me Kara and Jordan please <laughs> the chicken cutlets yeah the chicken cutlets that's, that's what they're yeah that's what they're called <laughs> That's really what they're called? Weird. Yeah, I don't know why I know that. Probably because of the years I spent in theater. But that's oh, kind of the oh. the slang term for those, because that's what they look like. 
Yeah, so there you go. But, like, seeing her painfully rip those off while brushing her teeth, again, like, not like, I, you know, I, I'm bringing that <laughs> I'm bringing out there, like, I, I we, we mentioned on the, the case that we visited that I was, I found January Jones brushing her teeth very sexy. This is not twice that Charlize has brushed her teeth, and neither time I found it attractive. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that's a fetish. I think it's just, like, a that one scene. Like, here she's just, like, mm-hmm. a train wreck in the morning. Um, yeah. But anyway, then, like, just chugging, like, Diet Coke. Like, just these, like, s- these little character details that all add up to this, like, broken woman that's so well defined by all three people who created her it's so engaging to watch and like unique and just well defined and and rewarding really yeah and and i also love that you know all that stuff you see in the beginning of her you know preparing for the day or uh when she prints out that email that she gets and she spits into the yeah. ink cartridge, you know, just so she can get it to work and it prints out that shitty thing. Like all these shortcuts she takes through the morning juxtaposed against later in the movie when she wants to look good, she goes balls to the wall to look good. Yep. So she's capable of putting forth that effort. But, you know, day to day, she's just like, who gives a shit? <laughs> and that's and that and I, and I love that contrast of, of of Mavis. You know, when when it when it suits her, she can put forth all that effort. So yeah, I love I love how she's got those two different sides to her, and it's always yeah. always depending on uh, or dependent on um, what's in it for her at the time. Yeah, I mean, she's like extremely self centered and yeah. she's an alcoholic. So I mean, those are two <laughs> deadly combinations. Like, <laughs> and very volatile. Like she is just like a keg you know waiting to explode and and she will towards the end and and booze will be involved but yeah like i just feel like this is diablo cody just like on fire i mean you even get little things like this if i could think back in like jennifer's body i mean a movie that wasn't very well received but yet has a lot of interesting character development stuff going on in there and and of course juno you know like honest to blog and all that kind of stuff just the way she talked and everything Uh, i feel like she's just really great writer comes through no matter like who's really doing her work i just happen to have only seen the jason reitman movies (laughs) that that she's uh, made but yeah it's really cool one of my favorite moments is when she's doing we fitness Uh, (laughs) i mean that just doesn't seem at all part of who she would be but like again you say like it's like a shortcut or something but she's barely doing the the Mm -hmm. we fitness it's like this is a thing i have to do so i'm gonna half-ass my way through it while my dog's sitting out on the balcony yeah it's it's just it's a very interesting way to uh establish her and it it works really well i do want to point out that this it sort of surprised me but this movie was not nominated for any oscars it was nominated for one golden globe that she was nominated for best performance by an actress in a motion picture comedy or musical she lost that the Though, to Michelle Williams in My Week with Marilyn. So oh. I've never seen that, but... I saw that. It feels like... it Was it was it good? I saw that in theaters, like, around the time I saw this in theaters. I, I, it, I didn't love it. I, she's great. She's great as Marilyn. I'm, I'm just intrigued by Marilyn as a person, so I like that. But, yeah, I didn't love it. Because she was also nominated, Michelle Williams, for uh, Best Actress at the Oscars, but then along with Rooney Mara in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is the only one of these movies that I've seen. But also Viola Davis for The Help, which is a movie I guess I should have seen but didn't. Glenn Close in Albert Knobs, and then Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady won. Hmm. So I've not, I've only seen one of those five movies, so I can't say that 
Charlie mm-hmm. should have been nominated, but I can also say Charlie should have been nominated. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, this isn't a musical, but it's got some great tunes in it. I just want to put that out early on here. I, this, she she has like that mixtape from the '90s when she graduated high school. Like I, I was in high school, like in the '90s. I'm older than the Mavis. I mean, I'm younger than the Mavis character is. You know, I remember all these songs, and I was getting sort of those uh, like reminiscing. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that like. Candlebox song or whatever was <laughs> playing on the, in the background at that bar and stuff. So uh, yeah, I, I really thought the music was, was a good touch. I think also that I mean the music is set up so well to be effective, especially the uh, Mad Love comma Buddy. Like I don't really know what that exactly mm-hmm. is until we find out that her her former lover, her former boyfriend's name is Buddy. So it's you know the mixtape he made for her. But then to hear his new wife's band play that song and lead with that song and like dedicate that song to him and just to see that look on Charlize's face and her trying to like I guess salvage the moment by saying this is the song that was playing the first time that I went down on you like that is heartbreaking like I mean it's funny because she's great in that moment and she's able to like just her line delivery but like this song that she keeps rewinding and listening to and rewinding and listening to like Mm. this is their song and so for her to either it's clearly not just their song it's also buddy and his wife's song like it's it's it means a lot Mm -hmm. to a lot of people and like that moment is just like oh no like this is her song and then you're like oh wait no she might have co-opted or maybe she just like it was that one time that one thing happened or whatever and like it's just it's heartbreaking to see the world through her eyes when it's not actually the way that she remembers it yeah and and her line delivery there is, is particularly great but what i find is the most fun for me is watching her reactions And that's true throughout this whole movie. I think that she is like, I've never seen somebody so good at reacting than in this movie. She like can say so much just with a look. She didn't even have to say that line. If you were to take that line out of that scene, uh, you know, when they're at the bar, you can just, you can see how much she hates it and how like she's desperate. That scene alone, I think, is incredible. But it's yeah, it speaks to her ability to 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 act without words. You know, I don't think she needed to say those words, but it's so much worse that she does. You know. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Watching it this time around, I didn't quite realize the first time I watched it so hard. Just like how one-sided, unrequited. Like, I mean, why would it? Why would he be responding the way she wants? But like, I just didn't realize like just quite how delusional she was until this time around. You know, so like, I don't know if like. Maybe that's why some of the comedy didn't land as hard because maybe I was starting to sob a couple times too many or something. I was taking it a little too hard this time. But um, as much as she can't see it, like what I love about this movie is Patton Oswalt. Yes. Sees it from the second she shows up at the bars. Talk about people expressing stuff in looks when he is just staring at her. And she sits down and he's just like frozen in carbonite because they use Star Wars references in this movie. But he is practically just in awe when she sits down and it's written right on his face. Like, what does she think she's doing here? Why would she even be here? Like everything that comes to sort of fruition in the movie, he calls it out like right there when they when they re-meet. I remember when this movie came out and I was even like reading some of my like friends reviews on Letterboxd, like people just praising him. He deserves every praise that he gets but like I think the first time I saw this I was like really like oh he's great and he's still great here but I think I was more appreciative of Charlize this time but like the way that they're together and just their their evolution the dynamic of her not remembering him or his sister even though they both have very clear memories of who she is going to sort of being annoyed by him to being drinky but drinking buddies with him to really genuinely feeling bad for him and 
sleeping with him and then, you know, giving him not happiness, I don't think, but maybe like peace or closure or something mm-hmm. in nine. Like this, this movie is also super short. Like before credits is like 87, 88 minutes, like in 88 minutes, like their evolution of a guy that she did not remember. And it feels genuine. And I think it's because of the writing, but it's also because of the way that they play it and the way that like it evolves over time. And like this movie is so smart, I think in really only having three characters, like it's really only the two of them and Patrick Wilson. Like there's other characters around, but they don't, really matter like they're not as important and so like to focus on the three of them really gives you time to develop these characters develop the relationships and see the one that like she wants so desperately go from what's essentially a nothing to like maybe slight positive to like completely falling off the rails whereas with Patton where she has no expectations becomes something and you know nothing long term but like there's a connection there and it's just wonderful I I have uh, a lot of thoughts about that sort of third act or maybe the last like 20 minutes of that movie and i'm not sure how genuine that moment between her and 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 pat oswalt is from a character point of view obviously yeah they have that night together because of the scene that we get at the end where she's talking to colette wolf uh patton's sister we know she has not changed and become a good person she is i think a worse person when she heads back to minnesota (laughs) than she was at the beginning of the movie well i think in that scene with with Patton, where you know she gets undressed and they sleep together i think that's more about her just needing some kind of validation for all the things she's been feeling since she arrived back in her hometown you know she didn't get any of that from the guy she wanted it from she didn't get that from buddy but here's this guy who's been pretty much worshiping her since high school. All right, well, he's going to give it to me. Uh, so I don't know that she did, like, did him any kind of favor intentionally, even though he might read it that way. I think it, for her, she is it's 100% selfish on her part. He's got that line where he's like, guys like me are born loving girls right. like you. Right, and, and I, I could be reading the, the scene wrong, but that, I mean, because of the scene that immediately follows it with his sister... And she's like, no, you're you're better than everybody. You know, like, <laughs> you, you got out. And she's like, thank you. You know, like, no, she's not a good, suddenly a good person. And that's one of the things I love most about this movie is that in any other movie, and maybe in another Jason Reitman movie, she would have had that transformation. But no, she has sort of a reverse arc where she becomes kind of more deplorable by the end. That's That threw me both time while watching this movie was that, that final conversation because I, I actually feel like she did change or like she believed that she's changing and that she's going to be a better person and not just for sleeping with you know Pat and Oswald or anything like that but but because she had seen some kind of light that she had realized like her actions were despicable or you know that she was out of control she's able to see herself outside of herself for once and you know how other people might perceive her but then she goes upstairs or she goes talks to the sister next morning and the sister basically like talks her out of it she's basically like why would you want to change like you're awesome you're what we all want to aspire to be to and like if that girl that girl doesn't even know like she has no clue (laughs) what the Charlize character has been through you know like miscarriage and everything like she has had divorce whatever like everything like she knows none of that kind of stuff like it's more realistic definitely but it's weird it's almost like this weird sort of character sabotage that the screenwriter did or something where she was like yeah like the the thing to do at the end is to have this dramatic arc and change for the 
better, quote unquote, you know, and Diablo Cody, I think in that moment is saying like, you don't always have to change for the better. Like you could just change in different ways and subtle ways. And, and sometimes you can change for the worse too. You can, and embracing that is something as well, you know, like the idea that she goes away happy, I think is an even bigger point on the end of that movie too. Yeah. And it's possible that I'm reading that scene wrong and and maybe she is having a come to Jesus moment and then it's all undone in that final scene. But either way, I think it, it speaks volumes about the complexity of that and how it can be, you know, read both ways. One thing that is, I think is smart that this movie does is it shows you the different perspectives. And this is something we were just talking about, the different perspectives of like what Charlize's life is actually like, that we see the reality. Like she lives in this beautiful apartment building in the big city, in the Minneapolis, even though no one calls it that anymore. And <laughs> you can see that she has this enviable life from the outside, but she's got no guy. She has empty sex. She's got a dog that, you know, is dependent upon her, but she doesn't really care about really. You know, like you were saying, Dan half-heartedly does her wee workouts. Yet, when she goes back to this dead-end town where there's, like, two bars and the big news is that they're getting a Chipotle soon, the fact that she got away seems like this glamorous thing. And I feel like even though at the end of the movie where there's, like, the nightmare of a scene where I just wrote down cringe, 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 mm. when she and the, the the wife are having this argument. It's not even an argument, because it's just, like, it's just Charlize against the world, even though the world just, like, feels bad for her. I feel like even in that moment that she is a disaster, an absolute disaster, there's people in that crowd probably who are like, I still wish I could be her, because she gets to leave this place. <laughs> It, it's just this small town dynamic and it's like the grass is always greener except the grass is never greener if when you're when you're like Charlize like she's happy nowhere if you have that mentality that you're able to marry your this woman and have a kid with her and be okay working with your dad and having pizza or sub sandwiches for lunch like if that's like where you are like this small little town Mercury Minnesota is great but if you're not that if you're like if you want anything more, you know, Charlize shows that she can't be happy in either place. And no matter where she is, she's just sometimes miserable or always miserable. Yeah, that, that scene at the end is is super tough to watch. Like, that is maybe one of the most uncomfortable sequences like in modern films and stuff. But it, it's interesting you say that, you know, even during that meltdown that she's having, that people probably still would rather be her because it was uh, Patrick Wilson's wife who you know, invited her, right? So yep. even she somewhere in the back of her head wants to get along with this person. Like everyone still wants to like get along with her, even if they kind of hate her, which is really kind of weird. But one thing I did like is how just her, her point of view it really comes through. Like she considers getting married, having a kid and like settling down as like a bad thing, you know, <laughs> she's like, hey, I'm going to break him out of this prison he's in. It's just really uh, interesting to see that mentality clash when she goes back home to like this small town, sort of like everybody's really like optimistic in their secure life and stuff. And yet she's the one who broke free, got successful, hates her life. <laughs> it's just not happy. But it, I don't know. It, it, she definitely that scene at the end there is just crazy and uh, I think you know she comes out the other that's why I think when she came out the other side of that scene like all that stuff with Patton was like super genuine and was gonna stick until the Diablo pulls the rug out from under us and everything but it's heavy like that's the thing like I, I wasn't I didn't remember it being so dramatic and I almost wish that like some of the beats that are played a little more for comedy aren't earlier on like I almost felt like it was just a bit tonally uneven like that even though it still works really well 
I think you need it to be like a comedy. Like, I think you need to be on her side. Because if you're not on her side, if you just think she's a miserable person the entire way through with no redeeming qualities as a character, I don't think you get that payoff at the end that it should have... You know, like, I feel like if it's darker and bleaker throughout, it could work. But I don't think that the end hits you in the way that she really... Like, it really shows that mm. she's lost everything. Yeah. Because not only yeah. did she not have anything, but she, like... She at least had that, like, shell up to the world that she's like, oh, no, like, I'm a tough, beautiful chick who, like, you know, I'm able to get through with my sense of humor and my life's pretty great. And then you see that even... She loses that, and it's like, oh... Like, mm. when that's gone, she's just this vulnerable, broken woman who is unknown no friends really maybe that one friend but it just seems like just somebody she like talks at and not really talks to there's nothing she has nothing and like when she mm. even realizes that like i think it's because she's like such a, like a sarcastic asshole through the first like hour plus of this movie that the end where she's where she's not able to be anymore works as well as it does mm. yeah it's interesting because she kind of starts the movie at rock bottom but we don't really realize that exactly because I think the whole movie attitude. is rock bottom like it's there's a well, lot no, of it rock is, bottom but, here well that's the thing but then we get to the that scene and it's like a gut punch I think it I think you're right like I think maybe if this wasn't as funny or so uh, strongly from her perspective like her point of view like her attitude and all that stuff didn't shine through as hard that moment wouldn't feel like a pivotal moment it would just feel like another moment you know what I'm saying but it needed to have more weight than the rest of them so I get it so that yeah I hear you I love that scene I still I mean I still think it's an incredibly brilliant comic performance I consider it comedy despite how how heavy it is for her in that moment but like I, I, I watched that scene and and the thought that occurred to me this time around was because it's been quite some time since it's been on television but I, w- I was thinking, I haven't felt this uncomfortable since, like, peak The Office. You know, it's, I mean, it's different, it's different characters. Like, Sh- Sh- Mavis is not Michael Scott, but it's this level of uncomfortability that they force me to be a part of and have to watch. And I can't turn away from it. I, my eyes are glued. My hand has not been covering, like, it covered my mouth. I don't remember the last time I had my mouth covered for that long watching something so awkward and uncomfortable and funny. Yeah, that scene is it's it's just so brilliant because there's so much going on in it and it's all because, you know, Charlize is so talented at bringing that level of drama to comedy where it can be both depending on I guess how you're how you're reading it. I get both things from it. I don't know. Did you guys think of it as a comedic scene like you almost have to laugh at so that you're able to react in a way that's not just like abject Mm -hmm. horror right yeah i mean it's set up like the classic spilled drink on her blouse you know like that's just an old comic trope right and then there's perfect timing when patrick wilson reveals the drum kit in the middle (laughs) of the outburst but like even before that like charlize is like where she's like fuck you fuck you you fucking bitch you should see your face it's a joke and it's Mm -hmm. very clearly not a joke and then like to that one two punch like this like attempt at humor into actual like dramatic irony or whatever it is the reveal of the drum set like it's just it's this like progression from like this show-stopping moment into that drum set at the worst time and it's just it's it's just it's it's masterful yeah and i think that the, the the timing like that the editing through that scene is what makes it so powerful in both regards like in both in that dramatic context and the comedic because the timing is what makes it so funny but also you know it's charlize's total attitude and her rage that is there's no other way to 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 watch it than in complete shock i love that particular scene 
Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I mean, I definitely got multiple reactions out of it. Like, first, I, I was cringing from the embarrassment. Then um, I was sort of maybe chuckling a little bit from the cover-up and everything. And then when she lays the, uh, you know, the big news about, like, what happened between her and Buddy out, I, I literally, in my room, you know, because I had forgotten that bombshell, I, I, I said, like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> and, like, in, like, classic Marvel mid-credit mid sequence reveal style, I was like, oh, shit, like, that is, I was like, wow. So, like, yeah, it, it is a very, very well-orchestrated sequence there, indeed. It's very effective. Yeah, it just keep, it keeps um, snowballing. Like, when you think it's bad, it gets worse, and then they find a way to make it worse, and then they make it worse than that. You know, like by the end of that scene, it has gotten so bad, so unbelievably bad that it, like it's incredible that nobody got into a fist fight. You know, they managed to, to pull it back just before that. And then she just takes off. You know, it's they, they, they crammed that scene as full as they could and, uh, and then pulled it right at the last second, which was incredible. And I think it's that scene and like her admission or confession or detail where she's like, Maybe if things were a bit more hospitable down south, talking about, you know, how she couldn't carry a baby to term. And, like, I think that's why that next bit with her and Patton, where she, where, the, you know, they do the dirty corn, if you will, Mike, <laughs> that it, 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 it <laughs> feels genuine. That it's like they're yeah. both broken people, but they're also broken down there. Mm-hmm. And they're able to connect. Yeah, that was his line to her, right? Where he's like, things aren't great down south, if you know. And when they're talking in the yeah. woods about his horrible fucking experience that's just crazy yeah yeah i totally agree they're they're almost like meant for each other in a way <laughs> you know like he calls her bullshit but even in that even in that scene uh where they're at the the bar together and then the other guy they went to high school with who's oh, her cousin yeah the cousin and then it's like oh uh here come oh, what does he call him oh uh, the happiest the um uh minnesota's happiest cripple i think the happy, something like yeah the, here comes the the happiest cripple in minnesota and he's got such a contempt for that guy and his positive can-do attitude it's like okay he's also capable of being resentful and hating other people for no other reason than that their life is better than their, than his you know like mm-hmm. Yeah. He's capable of, like, he's sort of what, like, Mavis is what he could have become if he had allowed the things that happened to him in high school change him that way, mm. you know? Whereas whereas Mavis just was like, okay, these are all the things that are happening in high school that made her a shitty person, but she did nothing to stop that. She just coasted on that. Whereas I think um, Patton Oswalt's character realized that, Things didn't have to be that way. But there's still a part of that in him, you know, mm. as evidenced in that scene. He's he's very much, he could have become her, I think. It, it's interesting how much the two of them talk about getting attention and how much they wanted attention and how much attention was important to you and is important as a teenager, you know? I mean, you find out later that that was kind of like a frivolous thing. Like, it's not really important how popular you are, but, you know, it, it's, it still matters to both of them to a degree, like how... Uh, how much attention they're getting and in that scene for Patton it's like oh well here's like the quote unquote the uh, like the star of the like he's he's like the he, like he's taking Patton's thunder almost you know what I'm saying like they even have that story where he's like he got uh, that chair when he was a sophomore and I was a senior and he stole all of my thunder or something right like so that's it's, right yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah so it's kind of weird so they, they also kind of relate 
a bit on that level. And what's even more strange is that Charlize's character, that Mavis, goes on to be a ghostwriter. So that her name isn't even on the cover of books. So she's not getting attention for what she's doing for a living. So that must be very frustrating as well, you know, and, and a blow to your ego. That's compounded when she's at the bookstore, that specific fault or lack of attention where she's like signing that book and that guy's like are you the author she's like well no i'm the i'm the ghostwriter and she's like i'll sign your books if you want me to and he said well no then we can't send them back to the publisher and she's like well why would you do that like it's like it's the reality of not only that she's not known that her name is just like this little tiny little imprint on the front flap but also that like the author who she's quote-unquote really good friends with or whatever she's not even gonna be known anymore like this is that's already run its course and like that's over too and so it's just this like detail upon detail upon detail of how she's just being forgotten but also in that scene i get one one of my favorite lines in the movie where she's just like whatever book man and then just like scrolls <laughs> by him like, and it's just like such like little like funny lines but also just her delivery like it's like she was born like i was just saying earlier like it's like she was born to play this role i almost feel like there's a lot of diablo cody in her characters plural like i feel like there's a lot of her in juno and a lot of juno in this and i i even feel like buddy's wife looks like juno a lot you know she's like what if juno kept the baby and got married and you know settled down and buddy looks a little he's pulling off like a bit of like an andy dwyer thing in this just being completely sort of like confounded by everyday life and stuff but yeah i think that like there's a little there's tons of moments in the movie where you see mavis's character like eavesdropping on actual teens Diablo Cody's like not a teenager, but like I feel like she's got the uh, the speech down. You know what I'm saying? Like these teens are saying things I feel like they'd be saying, and that uh, Mavis would just like crib and put into her novels and stuff, and like not you know like not come up with it on her own. But like yeah, just another example of sort of like a shortcut maybe, or, or I mean maybe that is kind of creative. And I mean you know do just like put everyday stuff into your material, but it's just, it happens like so often in this movie. Maybe. Maybe she's just her town is just some sort of gold mine for uh, teen speak, but uh, I just found that that was pretty interesting. Oh, one thing I just have bolded in my notes that has nothing to do with anything else, but uh, she drives a Mini Cooper in this, so shout out Italian Job. This mm-hmm. is a much better <laughs> movie than that one, but there we go. My favorite line in this movie, though, is when it's one of the many times that she shows up to Patton, Patton Oswalt's house, he where he lives with his sister. She, he's like, you want to, you want to go get basically you want to go get drunk and she's like yeah let's hit up the woods in the back of the school and she says and grab some of that star wars juice and yep. just the way she calls his like you know his most eisley most aged or most reserved or whatever the the really super nerdy aged bourbon that he's making is called juice the fact that she calls it his star wars juice i was just like god that's so perfect like it's so good yeah i got the first time i saw this movie i got a huge laugh when she was reading the label and she said Moe's easily. And like I instantly my brain put that together. Of course Pat Oswalt would make a Star Wars themed aged bourbon and call it like Moss Eisley Special Reserve. I feel like that that had to have been a Pat Oswalt thing that he put in that movie. I don't know. Maybe maybe Jason Wright or or um uh maybe Diablo Cody wrote that into the film. I don't know. But that felt very much like a Patton moment for me. But just her reading it wrong was a, like it was such a wonderful little moment. She has no idea what Star Wars is. I also like um, that thing about Patton's character about how he sort of like mix and matches the action figures. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you uh, if you look on his desk, there's actually a clear shot of it. At one point, there's a Night Owl action yep, yep, figure yep, from Watchmen. Yep. 
But it's the first Night Owl. It's not the one Patrick Wilson played, it's not but Night still, Owl too. yeah, it's still it's still a nice connection there. Absolutely. Yeah, and can can we talk about the um the world of this movie? Because like the char- you know, Charlize is wonderful, and in the print, all the principal cast are, are pretty uh pretty great too. But I love the little subtle details of this town. It's I mean, I've never been to Minneapolis, but I 100% believe that this is like some little town in Minnesota. Like one of the things that stuck out to me is Patrick Wilson, like, Oh yeah, we're getting a new Chipotle at the mall. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, I feel like this is just like, um, hardcore American suburbs right now. Like even up by me, there's a lot of those sort of KF taco, Kentaco huts. Right. Yeah. Like they're all up and down, like our highway where we all went to school, you know, like I live right around that area and stuff. So like even up by Nyack and stuff. Um, and then the suburbs are just like, you know, they could be just incessantly boring sometimes. So like Joey, you just moved to the suburbs by yourself. So like, uh, you know, the new headquarters is out in the burbs. Now you'll find out, <laughs> you know, you'll be finding out about the new Chipotle and you'll, you might be there the night before, you know, oh, lining up in real life. I just got excited this week because the new custard shop opened down the street. Like that's a real thing that happened <laughs> last night. I was like, Oh, it's okay open i need to go there my girlfriend is from central pennsylvania so every so often we have to drive out there and it's the exact same thing i'm not kidding you they recently had a a poll like in her hometown over like the best cheeseburger place in town and there were like five options and i'm not kidding you that burger king and five guys were two of those options (laughs) i believe it the world that this movie takes place in i feel like was so well realized the name of that bar champion o'malley's just this super awful town like trendy yeah it sounds like a simpsons bar you know like pj yeah. o'hallorhan or something just irish mcirish you know it's basically yeah i've definitely spent time in these sorts of towns and it just uh, it just struck me as a really wonderful attention to detail it's not only smart to our small towns but it's also like small towns i think you were also saying this of just like very small towns like in minnesota and like sure. i don't know like, is diablo cody from there I feel like maybe you know i think well, she's, she's born in illinois but I guess that's probably close enough, maybe? Yeah, I remember I read her bio- autobiography where she... Have, uh, it's pretty interesting if you guys... It's a very quick read, but, like, she actually spent time, like, as a stripper and doing yep. research. It's it's crazy. So, yeah, she's, like, in that Midwest area region. It's in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, basically. But I think it's, like... Oh, because the point that I was... Yeah, it is, it is the middle of nowhere, the middle of nowhere. And I think the point that I was trying to find that I was looking through my notes and I just found it was that like from what I've heard and again I have not grown up there I like the Vikings but that's about as close as my ties to Minnesota get the fact that like her parents casually deny the fact that she's an alcoholic she's like mom dad I'm an alcoholic I have been drunk since I got here they're like oh no you're not and it's like this like everything's fine like this is a small town like we can't have drama like things are okay the fact that like the the gossip that got around town that she was in town to buy real estate and didn't use her aunt's real estate company like that seems to like have caused a stir like everybody knows that so like it's just this like small town and i think also this midwestern small town feel where it's like you're good let's not talk about your problems mm-hmm. uh, even like when she's basically like oh yeah i'm gonna get buddy back in in more or less words at the breakfast table basically saying no you're not but like isn't his new baby just so lovely? Like, we know that what you're saying is crazy, but we're not going to talk about it. Like, maybe if we don't talk mm-hmm. about it, it'll go away. And it's like this very, at least from what I've heard and what I've seen in movies and what I think is true based on you know people I've talked to from that area, it's like, we're going to 
keep the darkness in the dark and not talk about it and maybe it'll just go away yeah and i think i think that's just true of like super rural areas not just Minnesota or the Midwest. Because I definitely, like I said, I've spent a lot of time in central PA and I definitely get some of that out there too. I think just the farther away you get from major cities, that's just kind of how things are. And I think that's why, you know, you hear about, you know, alcoholism going untreated in those parts of the country. Mm. It's because it's all they do. It's all they do is they work, you know, their blue collar jobs and then they come home and then they drink and that's kind of it. Oh, and it's also like the weird little sadnesses of like, when she's at her parents' house and they still have a her wedding picture, they're like, oh, but it's such a nice memory. Oh, yeah. She's like, of my failed marriage? Like, what? like yeah. it, they don't have the perspective, or maybe they do, and they just, again, don't want to talk about how it didn't work out, but, like, they remember that day and how happy everyone was that day, and that's all they want to remember. Mm-hmm. But it's like this outsider's perspective. Even someone as broken as she is, who comes in as like, no, like, what is wrong? Like, she like she knows that she's broken, but she's like, but what's wrong with all of you, too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I thought she was living in denial, and then we get to her parents' house, and we're like, it's like, geez, these guys are really stuck in the past. And I think it's a really interesting sort of comment on the suburbs to a degree, where it's like, this is where people went to escape change and the big city and stuff, and where you could take life slower and cling on to old values longer, and, you know, that whole sort of the nuclear family, like, we Gotta, we got to keep it nice and perfect and you know it's a lot of a lot of david lynch explores this thing in like blue velvet where underneath the smile and the facade are deep dark nasty disturbing things just be yep. waiting to crawl out and get you yeah that that is very much uh, a suburb thing i think it's being just touched upon here you know there's not a lot of time to go deeper but it's an aspect of her upbringing that when it comes to light reflects on her she makes a little more sense to me as to why she's acting the way she's acting why she didn't even go to her parents like I almost just assumed that she didn't have them anymore that they had been deceased or something or else she would have just seen them right away but that is a very interesting moment where her mom stops her on the street and recognizes her and she's like oh yeah hi hi mom but yeah I think it's just an interesting example of sort of like a generation clash too so um, it's it's nice that that it's in there I'm just scrolling through my notes now and just reading quotes because I just wrote down so many wonderful quotes where, like, she's at Macy's and looking for a dress. She's like, I'm trying to rekindle with an old flame. The woman, like, thinking she knows exactly who Charlize is, is like, oh, let's show him what he's been missing. And she's like, no, he's seen me recently. He knows. And then she's like, but his wife hasn't seen me in a while. And the woman's just like, oh, I need to go pick up my son from school. I'll have someone else help you. Like, just so flustered by this, like, absolute honesty like not only am i confident and like know that i'm really sexy but that i'm going to break up a marriage in your small town like it's just it's so good oh man she's definitely that this the same girl she was in high school thinking she can still get away with the same shit i mean it speaks to her her arrested development but yeah i loved it that 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 she still maintains that entitled attitude and charlie's delivery of those lines is pitch perfect you know mm-hmm. She's like so straight faced. It's almost like because I, I get the impression that Charlie's is a pretty nice person in real life, but like was probably the pretty and popular girl in high school who just didn't turn out that way in real life. I don't like know. Like psychotic but I think, prom queen bitch. Yeah, I, I think she just she avoided that. But she was still because, you know, I, in my high school, we had girls who were both pretty and popular and not total assholes. You know, they were pretty aware of their status and were nice to other people. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that Charlie's was probably that kind of person. Yeah. But like, it's, it's like she could have been 
Mavis in real life. So I think she recognizes that in herself and totally taps into that. And that's what makes her, her performance in this just so spot on and believable. I don't know if Diablo Cody wrote this with anybody in mind, but I read on IMDb that Jason Reitman's like first and only choice for this role was Charlize. So I don't oh. know if like he read this and was huh. like, oh, she needs to play this. Or if, you know, she talked to, if you talked to Diablo Cody about it, but like, it is, I, I completely agree with you. Like she might've won best hair in high school, but she right. wasn't like leaving town or whatever, leaving a trail of destruction in her wake. Right. I think that one direction they could have gone with this character is they could have cast an actress who was maybe more well known for comedy to really play up the comedy of this movie. But I think the brilliance of it was casting Charlize, who has more of a history in drama, but is very talented in comedy. It's very much in the same way that like John Hamm is. You know, he's a more yeah. of a dramatic actor, but when he does comedy, he is so brilliant at it. So, you know, she's got the, the comedic chops, but she's playing all of this completely straight. Like, I, be I believe that she is as miserable as Mavis, <laughs> you know, appears in this movie. I think there's something interesting there in that, first of all, she's just a great actor. Like, in everything she yeah. does, she's like the best in, the, in those movies. But like, when she's in a drama, it tends to be a pretty heavy drama. And when she's in a comedy, it tends to be a pretty off the wall, <laughs> zany kind of thing, comedy going on. And she pulls all that off really well in those respective genres but here I feel like for maybe not the first time but for like the first time in a long time at least there's like this subtle blend like you're right like she's this odd straight man in the bit where she knows like she's just responding as like offensively almost but not even realizing I don't know there's just she's just really <laughs> she's got a really great blend of the comedy and the drama and she knows how like high to turn the knob and when to do it it's very much like i feel like she's playing like an instrument almost like she's acting like an instrument like i can see her doing these highs and lows and stuff and it's just really interesting to get all that in like one movie as opposed to breaking down on the side of the road and you know deciding to live there and then wait tables and get involved with michael richard like it's i'm glad this didn't get madcap to any degree and then i guess now i'm also glad that there weren't too many sort of like reach for my tissue moments yeah it does stop before it gets to that point doesn't it like the drama never gets too real to stop enjoying the movie it's always kind of contained within that you know perfect level of just it's uncomfortable and, and heavy but at the same time it's so funny that you know you can mm -hmm. still enjoy it i think the, the balance in, in this movie is incredible and i think that's in large part due to charlie's performance but i think diablo cody certainly knew what she was doing when she wrote mm -hmm. the script and i also think there might be something to what you said earlier about the office and i mean not just the american office but you know like the ricky gervais like introducing that type of comedy you know into the world and stuff like this feels like um like you're right it does feel like a movie in in that type of vein maybe there's something about the time that this movie came out you know that this type of balance worked like they were able to do that you know where like maybe earlier this type of movie couldn't really they couldn't really pull it off in the same way you know what i'm sort of getting at like i just feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. we're in a we're in an era of a certain type of comedy that can sort of allow this movie to even exist yeah i think that's i think that's true because I, I can't think of any movies that happened kind of pre the office where it achieved that that level of un uncomfortability 
and comedy at the same time. I think that was a, that's a very British sensibility. And with the popularity of The Office in America, I think that that opened a door for this sort of comedy. And it's so hard to do right, and it's so easy to do wrong. And just here, it just works. It just right. works. Right, and you need a you need a good strong actor to pull that off like yep. charlie's like steve carell mm-hmm. both but well, both characters are different but they both believe their own shit like they believe their own bullshit and that that's what sells the comedy we believe that them even though they're both crazy and completely unself-aware but that's what makes it great the only other note that i think i have for this movie is that the word doc that she's writing the book number 178 is entitled piece of shit dot doc so <laughs> just to even a little even the little details so what i thought was kind of interesting um about her writing her novel in this is something that's going to come up more but i think we noticed right off the bat in the new run of christopher nolan cinemakers that joey me and, and and Chris are going to be doing is that the voiceover use of voiceover here oh, is very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's the book she's writing and then it's sort of overlaid over her daily routine. And then it also reflects who she actually is. Like yes. she's the main mm-hmm. character in her books and stuff. Uh, so that was just a very interesting, clever way to use the, uh, the voiceover here. I thought that was cool. For some reason, I didn't write that down, but like every time she said it, I was like, oh, I should make a note of this because it's done really well. It almost rides that line where it's like, oh, this is like a little bit, it almost feels not lazy, but it feels like, oh, it's just sort of like propelling the story along, but it's like, oh no, like it's just done well. Like I think mm-hmm. like in, a, in the hands of even like a little bit less skilled writer, it wouldn't have worked as well, but I think it's done just well enough that it's like, oh no, this actually is like really effective. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think any of the voiceover did anything particularly novel as a concept, you know, we've seen this pun intended. So I don't, I don't think it did anything particularly original. I think that the writing was really good and that's why it didn't stick out to me as in the hands of a lesser writer, it, it would have been garish and awful and, and it would have stuck out like a sore thumb, but Diablo Cody is a, a, a pretty solid writer. It didn't bother me really. I thought I actually kind of enjoyed it. Do either of you have anything else to say about this movie or should we move on to our games and other segments on the show? Um, I'm good to move on. I'm excited to check out the return of Reitman, Cody, and Theron in um, when we get to Sully. Is it Sully or Tully? Tully. I always... Okay, Tully. It's not Captain Chesley's seat in Sully <laughs> I've, I've been around when the movie came out going, ah, I gotta try and get to see that. People were like, wait, they made a, another movie about him? I was like, oh, wait, I'm mispronouncing it. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to get till we get to there. Yep. It's gonna be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one thing I'd like to say about this particular movie is that before this, I really was not super in love with the Jason Reitman Diablo Cody team. I know everyone really loved Juno when that came out and I had seen it and I thought it was charming, but I was not head over heels in love with it the way a lot of people seem to be. Honest to blog? What's that? <laughs> Nothing. I just made a dumb Juno joke. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> Is that the only other time that they've teamed up? I'm trying to think. I think so. Cause she wrote Jennifer's body in between. And this was, I think her third movie and he made like thank you for smoking and like up in the air, but I think I don't think the show oh. was involved in those. I think this is the second of the now three team ups. Joey, he made the one movie I still haven't done my homework on yet, but the one with James Brolin and the pie, the pie movie. Oh. Break, he's an ex. He breaks Josh in Brolin. and he's Josh Brolin breaks Labor Day. in and. Labor Day. Labor Day. Yeah. He, he so, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> Labor Day is the movie that Mike references more than any other movie that he's never seen. Like, it feels like. <laughs> I don't know how often. Like, once every, like, 
10 or 15 podcasts, he'll have a way to reference Labor Day. I'm like, Mike, have you seen Labor Day? He's like, no. I'm like, good, because that's not what the movie's about at all. Like, it's just, <laughs> I don't know why he's obsessed. I, I kind of don't, I kind of want you to never watch it, I think. Because it's all more right. fun to, like, know what you think it is. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was thinking of it during this movie, wondering if I should check it out. But now, I don't know if I ever will. Maybe it'll be the movie I never watch. Maybe you should, but who yeah. knows. But yeah, go ahead, Dan. My general point was that, you know, I'm not, particularly in love with either of them. I think they're perfectly fine. I can enjoy their movies. I think Reitman's films, for me anyway, are I largely enjoy them based on the, the performance of the main actor. So like Up in the Air, I really liked, but I mean, who doesn't love George Clooney? So I'm not sure if I really love Jason Reitman or if I love his leading actors or, or what, what it is. But this was the movie that I think is what sold me on Reitman and Diablo Cody and Charlize Theron as an actor, you know, like I had seen her in a couple things before this, but this is the first time where I saw her. And I was like, holy shit, this is a, she's like a tour de force in this. So yeah, this is the movie that really kind of brought me around to Jason Reitman and, and Diablo Cody as, as creative people. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just me. I don't know. I just was not really into Juno as much as everyone. It was hyped, you know, it was hyped. I, you're I just, like you're it. You're just lime green you know? jello of it, Dan. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's probably it. <laughs> Call me on your Garfield phone next time. I mean... Yeah, see, it wasn't... See, that that movie was just so precious. It did have a dark side to it, obviously, but like it was so cute, and the trailers were all just adorable, and I just was I wanted to throw up. If I was a flower growing wild and free, all I'd want to be this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's fine. I don't hate it, but I didn't love it either. But this movie, I think, is like the ultimate package for all of them, in, like everyone involved. The la- I guess the very last thing I want to mention before we get to the awards and such in the games is the the song that this movie closes on is a song I recognize from my childhood that I had actually been trying to find for a long time. Like, this is part of a, a record that was also, like, a VHS tape that I rented, like, tons when I'm talking, like, six and seven, like, five, six and seven years old. But it's, like, I think it's called Free to Be You and Me, and it was just, like, a whole bunch of stars doing you know original recordings and it was like a compilation thing and so i just want to thank this movie for reuniting me with that song <laughs> and uh i've tracked down the dvd and i'm going to show my niece and nephew the free to be you and me uh video so there you go <laughs> i feel like we normally do mailbag first except on my list we have game first but i'll just gonna do the mailbag first we do have an email address watch at cageclub.me we have email mail? us what you think of the what we have mail we have mail but, oh. uh, but i'm just saying you know email us watch at cageclub.me let us know what you think of the movies let, you think, let us know what you think of i don't know juno something who knows just just talk to us watchmen did you watchmen? like watchmen <laughs> are you excited for damon lindelof's watchmen series yeah, I am. Uh, very much so. Okay, so we have an email from our Australian fan, Amelia Crawford. She writes oh, in, Watch sweet. the Throne 2.0. She says, Joey and Mike, wow, what an awesome surprise to have a shout-out on your podcast. I was absolutely not expecting that. You guys are seriously awesome. Well, thank you, yep. thank you. Keep the compliments yeah. are coming, please. <laughs> you are welcome. She says, No drama at all about Atomic Blonde. I would be happy to be a part of any Charlize film discussions. What films still have free spots? Look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks again for the super cool shout-out, Amelia. So, nice. I wrote back, and I was like, look, and I, even, I, didn't talk to the, I didn't talk to you about this, Mike, but I just, I made an executive decision here, and I was like, look, I don't want you on Gringo or Snow White 2, whatever it's going to be, because right. whatever. What I yeah. want her on, and what I offered to her, and she responded, is I want her on the Golden Wallpapers. 
because just like oh, we had yeah, yeah. Jess Knight, Jess Collins, Jess Montez on the Zephys, like as the fan, sort of the outside, the sort of expert, if you will, in the actor, mm-hmm. who's not mm-hmm. us, she can come on, we can give her the fan votes, I still won't know who won, let her announce them, and Love then it. she can also say if that's right or wrong. So then she said, I would absolutely love to do the awards. That sounds yes. awesome. awesome. And then she says, you know, if we need somebody for those two movies, let, let her know. She'd definitely be happy to help out. Uh, but as of right now, she hasn't seen Gringo, and she wouldn't have a ton of positive things to say about Winter's War, other <laughs> than how great Charlize's costumes are. She says, let me know if you need any help with anything else over the duration of the podcast. I'm really wow. enjoying it. Looking forward to talking more with you, Amelia. So, Amelia, you are now part of the run of Watch It Throne. You'll be on the Golden Wallpapers, the Golden Teeth, the Golden Whatevers when they come in a few Golden Corns, maybe? I don't know. Can we have the Dirty Corn and the Golden Corn? Hmm, I don't know, but welcome to Watch the Throne. (laughs) And like it or not, you're now part of the show. Uh, so that's that. So that's uh, I'm just excited to have someone. I want to find somebody for, you know, I guess it could be Montez for... You know, Gosling and, Ch- and Channing, but we'll mm-hmm. see. But I think Amelia, as the Charlize expert, is exactly yes. what the doctor ordered. I love it. I'm so excited. Thank you for listening. Thank you for writing in. That's awesome. Made my night. So cool. So okay, the game. Dan played. Dan played the new game. We played it on Hancock, which okay. is insert. Oh, it's called. I, f- I keep forgetting. We have a name mm-hmm. for this and a name for a lot of things we do. It's called Unfortunate Improv. It's just like a general name that covers a lot. It's of a general games. malaise, if you will. <laughs> so we have a game where we insert Charlize's character, or if the character doesn't fit, Charlize's actress, into the new release of the weekend. And so next weekend, when this movie comes out, when this episode comes out, July 20th, there are three new movies in theaters. And I'm going to let you pick Ooh. which one of the three you want to do. Um, I'll go last, and I'll just take whichever one's not taken. I'll try to fit fit her in there. But you got three choices, okay? Mamma Mia, here we go again, number one. <laughs> number two, basically the opposite of that movie, The Equalizer 2. And then number three, Unfriended Dark Web. All sequels. Hmm. Uh, I've seen two of the three original movies. I've seen none. You've never. You should watch Unfriended, and you should watch The Equalizer. Okay. Equalizer is on my... I, I love Denzel, so... Unfriended is a lot better than you think it is. All right. So, okay. So, Mike and Dan, I will let you guys go first. Pick whichever movie you want to do. It'd be cool if we all took different movies, but we don't have to. No pressure. But how would you put Mavis Gary, or if she doesn't fit, how would you put Charlize Theron into either, Mom, the war, I guess also, the world of Mamma Mia, the world of The Equalizer, or the world of Unfriended? And if you want, if you need clarification on what those are, I can sort of take guesses and try to explain <laughs> what they are. I'm not sure if I could put Mavis Gary into this film in any kind of convincing way. So for now, uh, I'm going to say Charlize in Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Cool. If only to see Charlize in a musical. Because okay. I don't think I've ever, like I don't that. think I've ever seen her perform in like a big song and dancey musical. Right. And I don't know that she's ever done that. I mean, you guys are the experts. Has she ever done no. like a musical? No, right, Joey? No, no. Mm-hmm. She was in that thing you do, but she was she was not having it in that. Movie. That's as close <laughs> as she got, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even know if she can sing. Like, I would love to know what that looks like, if only for the uh, the, the experiment of it. I 
will say here, what I say all the time, is that I am never surprised when an actor or an actress can sing or dance or do some, like, wild, like, or play an instrument, because I feel like all of them can do everything. So I would not be surprised at all if Charlize is like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, a concert pianist, and I also can sing. We knew she was a dancer. You know, she only stopped dancing because mm-hmm. she hurt her knee or whatever. Sure. But I think, actually, I'm almost positive in my heart of hearts that she can sing. I mean, why, why couldn't she? I mean, she has, she's great at everything else. Like she's beautiful. She can kick ass. uh, She's funny. She can dance. You know, she won the genetic lottery. I think she's probably a pretty capable singer at the very, very least. (laughs) She's like Gattaca. She's just like, yeah, (laughs) at the very least, ABBA songs are not the the most challenging. Um, I think she could get through them. (laughs) I love that idea. So yeah, just just for the sheer spectacle of seeing Charlize sing and dance in a, in a big movie musical, I think that would be fun. All right, Mike, these two movies that you have not seen, Equalizer 2 or Unfriended Dark Web, do you have any questions about either one that I can vaguely answer? Um, I think, okay, so the Dark Web movie takes place on a laptop, right? Like it's all on The first one does. I'm assuming this one does too. Okay, and then the Equalizer is just, it's basically, he's a badass vigilante like yes that's hold on one story. second pause for a second <laughs> did you know that not the week that we're doing this but the week after teen titans go to the movies comes out oh my god new cage film yeah oh my god kate number five top build in the credits nicholas cage kristen bell will wow. arnett tara strong so number five boy. Seven okay. Months. okay 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 i think i'm gonna go with the dark web movie Okay. And I'm going to, because I've never seen the first one, but like, you know, it, it's, I kind of think it's going to be like that John Cho trailer where it just all takes place on a laptop screen and like things pop up and, you know, you're going to do research on YouTube and you're going to go to Wikipedia and it's going to be all over the web and you're going to track down the killer. And I, <laughs> at the end of the movie, I think we're going to find out that the laptop belongs to Mavis. Like she lost her laptop. Oh, she I like that. I like book. that a lot. And yeah, and like she's looking for it, and it's like all this crazy shit going on her laptop, and yeah, that's like the ultimate reveal that she wants it back. <laughs> so, so it's like a really scary "Where's my laptop?" movie, <laughs> but that's it. So here's how I'm going to very tangentially put her into the e- the world of the Equalizer. So in the first Equalizer, uh, Denzel is in there with Chloe Grace Chloe Grace Moretz. I don't remember. They sort of become fast pals somehow something but he sees her at a diner always reading a book and so in the equalizer 2 she's always reading a book so there's another character oh. always reading books you know he's out for justice he's out for justice but then he realizes you know he teams up with this girl maybe it's Chloe Grayson Moretz probably not because I don't think she's in it. it looks like Pedro Pascal is in that aka the viper from Game of Thrones so oh, cool, cool good on you so what I'm thinking is he teams up with another girl or another boy or like a kid who's reading books and the kid's like oh man, everything that I'm reading in these books is happening in real life. And like they're all like violent <laughs> crimes, unsolved crimes that Denzel is solving by murdering people. Then we realize that the not the author, but the ghost writer is Mavis Gary, and she's using yes. these books as like a setup. Like It's her own game of like Seven Ooh. or Zodiac, where she's like taunting the police and taunting the readers with these violent, unsolved crimes. And so it comes down to a showdown of Denzel versus Mavis Gary, and he absolutely obliterates her because there's no way that she would stand up to Den- like any Denzel character ever. So, but that's that. So she's she's writing the books. Like I feel like it's also sort of like a maybe the Bone Collector. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Like I feel like there's there's a lot of yeah. movies that like Denzel is either in or I think he should be in, where like an author writes about things. But I can see that you know as an author penning her crimes, confessing in the books 
but nobody knows how to catch her. I love it. I think that's great. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> that's all I got. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. So we got three good ones, I think. We got Charlie singing. We got Charlie's. It's her laptop, so she just comes and picks it yep. up at the end. And, On the uh, laptop, I guess. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then Charlie's murdering people off screen. That's like if Mavis Gary was the central character in Basic Instinct. Which is not entirely unbelievable, mm. I think. All right. <laughs> Although I think she's maybe a little too stuck in that, that high school persona to, to be a truly nefarious, evil I don't know. mastermind. I, I think I don't you gotta, know, maybe. you have to be a little bit repressed. Sure. You know, check true. out our, when, when it, it comes up, like in our insomnia chat, there is a writer who's also sort of like done a bad deed and it feels like he's sort of living out part of his story and yeah. stuff. So it's, a, it's just a yeah. very interesting premise. I could see that, though. That's a that's a solid idea. Well, thank you. So the only other thing we have to do with the show is the Watch a Throne Awards, the now Amelia Crawford Awards, the Golden Wallpapers, the Golden <laughs> yes. Teeth, whatever we want to call it. Best Film, Young Adult. Best Role. Boom. Mavis Gary, Young Adult. If we had the contender bell, it would just be ringing off the hook ding, right now. Ding, ding, ding. Do we want to not... I don't think it necessarily qualifies, and I feel like we also might cut this category... Best character transformation from like arrogant to broken, or no, or like, or maybe uh, vulnerable to empowered, miserable to. Or okay. if not, we don't have to. She well, she goes kind of from being desperate to being empowered. I think because she's pretty in a pretty desperate spot okay. that she's going all the way back home to mm. try and try and break up the marriage and be with the guy she was with in high school. Right, like people who yeah. are confident in their own. Confident themselves don't do that. Yeah, but when she leaves, she's totally like, "Yeah, I don't need this." Uh, we got to nominate Pat Oswalt for best male actor role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent, Pat Oswalt. Yeah, I feel like Buddy is like should have been in this movie maybe a little more, but I don't know. I guess it's all right. I like Patrick Wilson, so I guess I just wanted to see more of this sort of this version of him, this character he's done. So, uh, do we want to nominate either? Patton and Charlize's love story, which is not really a love story, it's best love story, or do you want to nominate what's really not also not a love story, Buddy and Mavis as worst love story? Yeah. I like that idea. I like that. Mavis Yeah, and let's do the worst, <laughs> the worst uh, love story. Um, do you have a category for, because it's not a relationship, really, but like they're, because I, I feel like Patton and Charlize are so great together, I, they deserve to be recognized for that chemistry, but I don't know hmm. how to categorize we it. Had... Like, Best pair. That was, remember, Tobin was suggesting that for North Country, mm-hmm. like best on-screen couple, but we're like, yeah, that sort of feels I'm... different. But like, it almost feels like it's something we've talked about, Dan, but we don't actually have. But I, I do agree yeah. that it's, I think uh... we talked about that on the Valley of Ella, also. Like her and Tommy Lee Jones are just fucking amazing in that yep. movie. Like mm-hmm. they were born to be in movies together. Let's nominate this also for best score slash soundtrack. Cool. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't own the soundtrack because I think I have it in my garage, like in, on all my CDs from high school. So. <laughs> Do we want to nominate uh, The Concept by Teenage Fan Club? Best, oh, best song. Best song. I mean, you know what I like about nominating it is how central it is to the movie. Yep. Like, I feel like we haven't really gotten one of those in a long time, too, yeah. where it's like in the script and everything. So, yeah. for sure. Best cinematography or no? I would say... It's worth mentioning okay. for sure because the I think the the cinematography goes a long way in in depicting that town and how dreary it is. Like I said before, you know I loved that that world that they inhabit, and I think the cinematography did it went a long way toward creating that for sure. I'm going to nominate. Let's hit the woods in the back of the school and grab some of that Star Wars juice for best line. 
And I'm also going to nominate for similarly her freak out in that okay. at when the the sangria whatever freak out the wine freak out. I'll get to fuck you. Fuck you. You fucking bitch. Oh my god. You should see your face. It's a joke. Are you just going to stand there like a big lump? I love your sweater. Oh, I also like that line. Weren't you that hate crime guy? It's uh, <laughs> pretty great. How's your dick? Not good. <laughs> There's another line we did not mention where, where Charlize is talking to Patton and she's like, Matt, don't you get it? Love conquers all. Haven't you seen The Graduate <laughs> or like anything? So I like that a lot. That's so funny, too, because if you've seen The Graduate, you know about that ending and yeah. how, yeah. you know, <laughs> love may not be all it's cracked up to be, maybe. <laughs> but there's yeah. also, you know, we, we talked about the scene earlier when they're, when they're talking to the happiest cripple in Minnesota, and they're talking about how he's, uh, he goes rock climbing. He's like, nah, I'm vertical, bro. And then he says to them, I'm totally glad you guys are buds. It's like Will and Grace. Which works because they're pals, but also because he thinks that Patton is gay because he was he was oh, the right. he was the hate crime guy, and then oh, that's I when they toast that. each other, "You're a piece of shit," or "You're a piece of work," "You're a piece of shit." They cheers, and then they you know get real drunk. Yeah, there's so many good moments like that. I love that even Buddy didn't know that Matt wasn't gay. Oh, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he's gay. No, he's, <laughs> he's not. No, I li- I like that the first shots of uh, Buddy, he's like emptying the breast milk pumps because like that's just what defines him like throughout the whole movie is that he's a he's like a hardcore dad you know like he's a dad that works at being a dad and loves all that kind of stuff and stuff so like i thought that was funny that his face isn't even important in this movie you know it's like he's represented by his action there Mm -hmm. okay anything else that we should nominate for good or bad i mean nothing bad we've nominated for 10 things which might be a record so far but also like i said my favorite Charlie's movie to date so far. Uh, I mean, it's going to be that for another handful of episodes. And then we're going to get the Fury Road. It's going to be like, cool, okay, that's why we did this whole podcast. So right. enjoy it while it lasts, like... young adult. But anything else we want to nominate, good or bad, but probably good? Would you recommend, or, or would you consider nominating the screenplay? So we haven't the done that. pretty strong. Oh, yeah, I okay. don't think we've done one of those. Because I don't think it's even been, you know, there's been two or three movies. Um, again, Valley of Ella and, you know... Um, North Country. North Country, yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, there's so few and far between. Maybe Monster as well. But now I feel like we could possibly flesh out a category. You know, I don't know. Two reasons why not. Number one, because I think that also directly correlates with best film. And number hmm. two, I know it doesn't, but it also kind of, like, it's the same things that be nominated for both. Yeah, no, and I hear you. number two, yeah. you've made the point as we go along, which I agree with, and I think as we're going to cut, we're going to cut down as time goes on. Yeah. I'd like to have things more about her than just about the movies themselves. Right. Sure. Maybe, yeah. Like, that. that's something, oh, that's something. She hasn't directed, and, you know, Keanu and, and Nick Cage have both directed, like, she hasn't, that's the thing. If she had written the screenplay, <laughs> definite nomination, but you're right, yes. I wanted to sort of, like, Keep it about her. Yeah. How about her her wardrobe in this movie? There's a category that Tobin created called most dressed down performance or most yeah. wait, what is it? best 
dressed down appearance or most no most dressed down appearance <laughs> that's in the valley of ella that's monster that's north country that's the road like that's where she's like not supposed to look pretty i feel like even when she's looking like a slob like she looks like mm-hmm. the most beautiful slob i've ever seen in my life so it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't work there okay i mean she like she can't help like in this movie like because she's been you know in monster and other movies like she's been not attractive but like god she can't even she can't help not looking gorgeous in any scene in this movie that's true on the in the inverse of that like you know best appearance like i don't want to make it sort of sexist but like she also looks like incredibly great in this movie like when she like dresses up to impress buddy like it's a. Uh, Definitely worth pointing out and definitely worth mentioning. I'm glad that we did before this ended, but yeah, I, I mean, I just I think the the um, she works in extremes in this movie. She either looks like a total slob or she looks like absolutely gorgeous. But I mean, you're right. Even when she is in pajamas, she's still Charlie Theron in pajamas. Yeah, even when she's chugging Diet Coke, faking a hangover, still gorgeous. Yeah. Any other categories? Point. We think we're we're good. I'm good. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for being on this episode. I think this is a series wrap for you on this. There's also not too many more episodes left, so but we thank you for being on a handful of these episodes. You were on Hancock, you were on this, and were you on one other? Uh, not for Watch the Theron, no. I was okay. with you guys on um, Keanu Club. Oh, yes, for To the Bone, which I just yeah. saw today the first review for Siberia. Not a positive one, I can say that much. <laughs> um, so we've got another Keanu coming soon, but maybe not great. We will find out. One other thing that we used to do that we, have, we stopped doing because I don't check the things i think i have all my things i think i have everything in my brain i don't we used to feature a podcast a different podcast on our network at the end of every show i want to bring attention to the newest podcast which i believe unless things go wrong will be starting not this monday but the next monday august no, no i'm sorry not next wednesday but the wednesday after that wednesday august 1st foodie films by kyle reinfried co-host of the ps love hoffman podcast his co-host over there, Brian Rodriguez, has gone off and done great things at the High School Slumber Party. Kyle Reinfried, who was on Mighty Joe Young on this podcast, is going over and doing his own podcast about movies about film, uh, movies about food. And so go check out Foodie Films. There's really cool album art that the day that we're recording this, they just released on Twitter. Uh, there's going to be like the landing page. We'll have the things you can subscribe. But that's going to launch Wednesday, August 1st, every Wednesday. Go check it out. Kyle's great. Podcast is great. <laughs> I really want to talk about Chef. Like Chef is like Kyle's like Muse movie. I feel like he's just like in love <laughs> yeah. with that movie. Um, I don't think I'm going to be on the Chef episode because I feel like he might just talk about that himself for three hours. I don't know, but I'm excited for it. The art is great. Go check out Foodie Films. Kyle's on this. Kyle will be on our next project, which might be. I mean, we're still going to do podcasts forever, but like I feel like I've been saying the next podcast that Mike and I are going to have after Watch the Throne might be the last new podcast mm. that we start. Then we're going to sort of oh, double down yeah. on our existing projects. But How about that? That's I know, great. right? But yeah. the next one, we're going to go out in a big On big a high way. note? Can we say high note? A high note, a little, for little sure. Hint. You know, it's funny when you mentioned what we're gonna, film we're, Kyle... We're going to ride out like kings. I can say that. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <we're> gonna... <laughs> you know, I'm surprised when you mentioned the film Kyle was previously on for Watch the Throne. You didn't make your... Mighty Joe. Oh, Mighty Young. Joe, Young Adult. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> yep. So Mighty Joe, Young Adult. So for all things Watch the Throne and Foodie Films and all of our other nineteen total podcasts, now you can go to CageClub.me or Facebook.com/CageClub or at CageClubPod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us Watch at CageClub.me. Also starting also starting next Wednesday, August first, we will have a free monthly newsletter. So go to CageClub.me/newsletter. 
and sign up for that. It's just a free newsletter, the best of the best of what the, the Cage Club Podcast Network has to offer. We will, I will write this thing every month, send it to you. You can see what I think are the, the coolest new episodes of the month, what new shows, if we're doing live events, if we've got other special things going on. Just go check it out. If you like this show, maybe there's other shows in the network you don't know about that you might like. So free, I'm not going to spam you, once a month. That's all we got. Cageclub.me slash newsletter. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Dan Cologne. And we'll see you next time for Prometheus on Watch the Throne. She was standing wherever she goes, says she's going.